Well, welcome to the Mankind Podcast. This is episode 10. That's a, oh my gosh, I still can't wrap my head around it. That's double digits. That's the first time we're ever going to hit double digits. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Anyway, I'm excited. Episode 10. Wow. And I'm thrilled because I'm getting to sit down with a good buddy of mine, Andre Bradford. We've known each other for years and I love him as an artist. He does amazing work. Andre is an incredible guy. He won't tell you this, but he has won national awards for his work in slam poetry and spoken word. I mean, he's a big freaking deal. But I love that his work revolves around emotional intelligence, empathy, and mental health. Our conversation today just blew me away. If you're new to the Mankind Podcast, I just want to say welcome. I'm so thrilled you're here. Go ahead and hit subscribe. It not only means the world to me, but it helps spread the goodness across the internet. Thank you so much, and I hope you, I know you will enjoy this episode of the Mankind Podcast. This is the Mankind Podcast, a place where we as men can talk about emotional intelligence, empathy, and kindness. We want to develop tools that build us up in these ways, and we want to hear the stories of those who are changing the world and having an impact, one kind act at a time. I'm your host, Justin J. Girdler. There, that just happened. So then, do you need me to record as well? Yeah, if you don't mind, I just like having the backup. I've, I've been burned enough times that I'm like, hmm. Fool me once. <laughs> I didn't realize actually that you could two people could record the same Zoom call. This is news to me. Oh yeah, I'm still new to all this. Like this is all <laughs> new to me, and uh, so I'm still getting my feet. You've been doing this for a while though, right? This is only the third podcast I've ever done. So <laughs> that's exciting. They're super fun though. I, I enjoy these a lot. I don't know. I don't often get to talk about like the journey of this, so it's kind of fun. Uh, so that's kind of ironic because this happens to be my third time I've done this too. Yeah, it's perfect. We're syncing up. This will be, that right. means it's going to be a good episode. We're each other's thirds. <laughs> it was meant to be. There you go. Well, um, hey, I am so excited to have uh, on the Mankind podcast a good friend, good buddy of mine, Andre Bradford. Andre, we've we've done all kinds of ridiculous stuff to with each, with each other. With each other. We've done ridiculous stuff for years, uh, from just <laughs> filming uh, your poetry and the work that you do to we've played characters and done like I don't know what it is. It's not comedy. It's more like a show. <laughs> and it's kind I of improv. We we made people laugh. I think we, it was kind of comedy. <laughs> we definitely make people laugh. Uh, usually at us at our expense. Yes, mostly at us. And and in one of those shows, I even got you to wear a tutu. Uh, you didn't even have to like bend my arm or anything you just you showed up with it and i was like all right i'm in but this is as long as i'm this. not the only one doing this <laughs> this is gonna happen i think i planned that the first so we did this like four times four years we did this yeah. the first year we wore uh lululemon leggings and you were so cool about it i was like all right cool the goal <laughs> the every year is to up the ante <laughs> and the end goal being eventually we're gonna be wearing tutus and now yeah. that we did it, I don't know where else to go. Like, I'm done. I'm kind of like, I've, I really want to do those list. like, those like giant Jurassic, like, like Jurassic Park costumes, you know, like where the bot, you're just like, you're in a giant inflatable costume. Uh, and we just have, we're like one half human being, one half dinosaur, and they don't get to see the dinosaur to the very end. But that'd be so hard to hide on stage. You, you just gave me a new mountain to climb. I'm like, oh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And why stop there? I mean, we could do two parts of a, of a horse costume. Oh man, that'd be fun. Yeah. <laughs> one of us is the head and the other one's the butt. And that I don't even know how we'll work that into the show, but it's gonna happen at some point. Yeah, so. Now that now you've said it, it's gonna happen. Yeah, I've said it. Yeah. So anyway, uh Andre, uh I've been so it's been so fun to watch you go from I mean, you worked in sales in corporate world to like now I've watched you like quit your job and be like, I'm doing this <laughs> full time and just just give us a little context. What what is it you do now? What is the this that you're you're doing? Yeah, I'm getting I'm getting better at, at defining the pitch of this. But basically, uh, I use slam poetry to educate about empathy. Uh, so I do motivational speaking, and through my keynote speech, I weave in um, four or five slam poems that touch on a lot of different topics like diversity, appreciation, uh, mental health awareness, the power of kindness. 
and all kind of through this this lens of empathy and how important that can be and how necessary it is for the survival of our species, really. Um, and I, I love getting to do this because I think uh, when I think back on like a lot of the presentations that I had to watch in high school or college, uh, they're just kind of these long droney, like here are all the things that I've done and this is why I am awesome and you can be awesome too if you just follow these simple steps. Uh, and this is what's more vulnerable. It's it's a lot more authentic. It it really is about kind of like my my journey, my mistakes, my hopes, um, and then kind of hopefully hopefully using that to inspire other people to lean more into being more empathetic. Dang, that's a. I mean, like, all right. So we're gonna d- deep dive into a lot of this. I'm really excited. So when when did when did empathy become the thing? Like, because when did you, and I know it's not a gimmick like that's been really close to your heart. You talked about it for years. Like, when did that become important to you? And you're like, oh, that's that's what I need to talk about. Because you could talk on a lot of topics. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, it wasn't like a, an immediate kind of um, this is what I want to do with my poetry. I, I was writing same poetry just for fun. I, I enjoy storytelling. I enjoy being on stage. Uh, I have a theater background. So it was a really fun way to get to express myself and start to tell my story. But what I was finding is that after I shared vulnerable pieces about, you know, growing up mixed race or my own struggles with depression, a lot of people would come up to me after the performance and either thank me, which was kind of wild to me, uh, or tell me that, you know, they are also struggling with something or they've been through something similar. And there was this just deep connection that got built really quickly um, with total strangers. And I, the more I thought about it, the more I realized that really what was happening there was uh, we were kind of both expressing empathy towards one another and that helped develop these deeper connections and allowed us both to feel seen and, and understood and heard. And that was powerful. You know, I would, I would leave these sign poetry shows just feeling like full of life. And so what I wanted to do was kind of emulate that experience, um, but do it, do it in environments where I thought maybe really needed this. So uh, I traveled to a lot of different um, independent schools, a lot of different universities. Uh, I performed for some businesses and the goal is really trying to, to emulate that experience to get them to kind of do something similar with each other so they can build better relationships. Mm, so it's kind of like a light bulb moment where you're like, wow, I'm actually connecting with people after the show, after you know, pouring out my heart and being vulnerable and these, these key things for you and going with that built stronger connection. So how can I share that connection with others? Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was noticing, um, as I was kind of looking at all my poetry and trying to develop this program that the through line was really empathy. I, I didn't really intend this when I was writing these poems, but there was always this kind of element of either hope if I was talking about something kind of heavy, or if I was bringing up an issue like social justice issue, there wasn't just this like, let's rail about the problem. It was like, can we come together and find a way to solve this? And so uh, I just, I guess that's naturally just kind of a part of the way that I approach arts. And so when I noticed that that was the through line, then the show really started to come together. Dang, that's awesome. Uh, What has been, as you've worked on it and you've connected with other people, what have been some of the kind of highlights for you as you've, as you've met with businesses and you've gone to schools, like, what do you, I guess what, first, what do you bring to the show? Like, what? How do you start your show? <laughs> uh, I start the show with a little bit of comedy. Um, I I just feel like comedy is such a great way to to break down barriers. And no one's ever heard of me. I I you know I'm a slam poet. No one knows a lot of slam poets. If you do, you know maybe one or two. Uh, and so every time I get on stage, it's like no one knows what to expect. And there's a lot of challenge with that, but there's also a lot of freedom with that. And so I kind of, I just get on stage and I start telling people like, Hey, I, I, I'm here from Austin. Uh, we are the breakfast taco capital of the world. That is a fact. You can literally Google that. Uh, I, I kind of like open up about uh, being mixed race and that I'm Jamaican and Mexican. I'm a Jamaican, uh, which, you know, lucky you, you may never meet another one in your life. So savor this moment. <laughs> you know, I, I kind of just like, I give them a little bit of a taste of just kind of my character, who I am, that this isn't going to be some big heavy show. It, it, it's, it's going to have moments of authenticity, but there's also going to be moments of levity in it too. And so that's kind of how I, I approach it and, and kick it off. <laughs> as, you, as you're as you going through that and like, I love the whole way that you're getting people to kind of uncross their arms and warm up to you. And like, oh, I like this guy. He's funny. He's personal. How do you start, how do you move into like the the pieces? I guess, what do you, what do you take your audience through? What's kind of the story, the through, like you said, the through line of empathy, but how do you get them from, okay, they, I, I got them, uh, like I said, uncrossing their arms or eating out of my hand, whatever it is. Um, they're warmed up to you. What do you, where do you take them next? 
Yeah. Uh, so I, most of the shows that I start, uh, I start with a, a poem called Crayon Box, which is one of the first slam poems that I ever, um, that I feel like ever really resonated with a lot of audiences. Uh, it is about my experience growing up mixed race. And, and I kind of start that poem with, um, you know, L'Oreal now has a makeup that takes the guesswork out of finding your perfect shade of foundation. Well, L'Oreal, it took you long enough, didn't it? Um, and the idea being kind of like, um, you know, in makeup, you're, you're blending a lot of, of makeup or uh, in cosmetics, you're blending a lot of makeup. And in my life, my own personal experience, I felt like I was constantly trying to blend in. I, I didn't value any of the unique qualities that I had because I was so concerned with being an outcast. Um, I grew up in a pretty like non-diverse neighborhood. Uh, and so, you know, like as, as any human being, you want to fit in, you want to fit in like, or feel like a part of a group or the community. And, you know, because of my background, I felt like I didn't, I had to work harder to do that. So I, I start off just kind of opening, being vulnerable, being honest about some of these, these tough scenarios uh, that I had to experience. And then that's kind of, that was my own introduction to how important empathy could be. Cause when I think about the relationships that really meant a lot to me at that time in my life, it was the people who empathized with me, who also recognized that, you know, maybe he's feeling like an outcast. Let's invite him into our group of friends, um, who helped me feel seen. And that dramatically changed my life. Uh, and then from there, uh, because I know that not everybody can relate to, to growing up mixed race, though a lot of people can relate to feeling like an outcast. I move into a poem that almost any Anybody can relate to, which is a bad day that I had. Uh, I'm stuck in line at a Walgreens. There's this older woman, um, and she's trying to check out with a checkbook. She's buying all these things. I'm having like this inner monologue about her in my head. I'm just so frustrated. It has been a long day. This woman's taking forever. And then as I go to leave the store, I realize I see her um, basically take everything she just bought and gave it to a homeless person right outside. And how quickly my entire view of her changed. Uh, it was the, like the first time that day I felt like I actually took a second just to appreciate something beautiful in life. And that after that point, uh, the audiences are usually more inclined to listen to anything that I have to say, because there's there's a beauty in that that a lot of people can relate to. Everybody can relate to kind of feeling like me in that moment, just being frustrated at, at an older person taking forever doing something. Uh, and by that point, I've got them to kind of buy into this idea that maybe empathy could be something that is really beneficial to their lives. Mm. And then I move into like talking about things like mental health awareness, um, the dangers of what what kind of, I paint a picture of like what our world would look like if um, if we stop practicing empathy. I cite a couple studies that on the whole uh, humanity is just taking a nosedive when it comes to empathy uh, and how dangerous that can be. Um, and then I kind of close everything with just like a story about a friend of mine who just helped me feel seen and how dramatically that changed my life. Mm, dang. <laughs> At that point, you, you've walked them through, like you said, you've got them open to the idea. And there's probably a lot of moments right there that they're already going, oh, dang, this is going to go deep. <laughs> like you, you touched on a felt need. You, you related to them. Like, and then, if, especially if you're going into mental health and other issues of empathy, there's probably a lot of people like, that's bringing some, some real struggles up. And now you're no longer just like the guy on stage who, you know, is likable, you're, you're seeing you as like, this guy's helping me deal with stuff. Like your role kind of can change. And some yeah. people probably, they're still like, mm, I don't, now I don't like this guy. <laughs> how do you, how do you work in those kind of two, maybe, maybe they're two dualities. Maybe, maybe they're all, they have, they've all been the same thing, but like, how do you help people process what they're starting to see come up in their emotions? Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I do make notice uh, while I'm performing that some of these topics are a little a little tough to, to navigate. You know, we don't really talk about these things, especially mental health in our everyday conversations. Yeah. But it just by pretending that these things don't happen doesn't mean that they aren't real and that people aren't dealing with them on an everyday basis. And so. I kind of view it as my job to lean into that uncomfortability, that that discomfort, because a lot of times these students, this is the only opportunity they're going to get to to kind of talk about some of these subjects where it's going to be a part of their their mandated curriculum. Yeah. Um, and so I really try to lean into that. I try not to shy away from the poems that that really bring up some some hard, heavy topics. And I do unpack each poem. That's kind of what I love about this show is that I have the time and the space to unpack what I just delivered um, and help them kind of process what they just experienced versus like if I'm doing a poem at the Austin Poetry Slam, uh, I don't really have that opportunity. They just that's they get the poem and that's kind of it. If they want to know more, they can come talk to me individually. Nice. So there is there are these moments where I do really get to unpack what they just heard. But I, I don't shy away. And in, in that show, I talk about 
being suicidal and, and how um, hopeless I felt at times in my life. And it does, you can feel when you're on stage, people kind of like, oh, ooh, and like, like kind of lean back in their chairs, like pull away from you. Mm. Um, Cause it's, it's a weird scenario. You know, we don't, we don't make this an everyday part of our conversations. And so I, I get that. And I understand that, but I also know that there for, you know, every 10 people that are leaning back, there are two people leaning in and I'm doing this show for those two people. Yeah. That's awesome. You do this, you do the shows and you're working, like you said, with businesses and education and, and different uh, groups. What do you ever get the reaction of like, so you're, you're a guy going around talking about <laughs> empathy. Yes. And, and, you know, and we're talking about kindness on this podcast is, you know, we're, we're basically saying they're the same thing. They're, they're, they're different. One's maybe a Phillips head, the other one's a flathead, but they both unscrew things like, <laughs> we're, we're, we're both working at this at this field but like what's kind of been your reaction from people going this is cool or this is weird or i thought it was weird but then it ended up being cool like what are you what are you hearing from people as oh you man i've had the full spectrum um actually recently at, at a show i saw a student right after i performed and um he just kind of gave me this head nod and i was like hey man what did you think of the show and he's like oh i don't like poetry that was his whole summation of the whole show was just, oh, I don't like poetry. I was like, cool, man, did you get anything out of that? And he's like, nah. So <laughs> I, um, I've, I've had the full spectrum. I would say like 95% of the time I get people who appreciate the vulnerability, who just say, hey, um, you know, we, we don't get speakers like you. We don't have people that come on stage and, and are just really honest with us. You know, there's usually some kind of, pitch or or sell um it was kind of refreshing to get somebody who is just willing to be like 100 real with us and that to me is like kind of the fire for me that's the encouragement that i need to continue doing this work um i think it also does help that it's it's a it's a guy on stage kind of being vulnerable because we don't see that a lot in our uh in our media in our classrooms um especially in our in our everyday interactions can I, I think back to like all of my male friendships even most of my male friendships today and it's a lot of like hey man how you doing oh i'm good man how are you i'm i'm all right man that's it that's the whole conversation cool, we've talk. said everything that we're going to say about how we're doing <laughs> and now we're talking about like anything else yeah <laughs> so um it does it does help i think to for a lot of guys uh, especially in the age range between 12 to 25 to see some see another guy get on stage and be willing to talk about these these difficult subjects uh it's i think healing in a way and, and hopefully inspiring for them to kind of emulate that and do the same what do you what do you think is behind some of that the among men like you said especially 12 to 25 i guess what from your your maybe your experience or just what you're you're observing as you're doing this work what is it that that causes men to not go there and what what's the cause of like what's the side effect maybe Ooh. Um, I, I mean, I, I, I hate to paint it as a, as a simple answer, but I, I think our, our culture as men definitely plays a huge role in, um, in our inability to be honest with each other. You know, we, from a young age, prioritize being tough and being, uh, being like someone that takes risks and is just very confident all the time. And that's, ma that's masculine. Mm -hmm. That's, that's what it means to be a man. And nowhere in there is like a, is the courage that it takes to be open to be vulnerable. We, uh, I don't know, I can, I can just speak from my personal experience, but like growing up, my dad and I probably exchanged less than 10 words anytime we ever spoke to each other. You know, there was never a, Hey, how are you doing today? With the intent of like really getting me to like be honest. Uh, and I never asked my dad how he was doing because he was just this like stoic, silent, strong caricature. And that was our relationship. We never really opened up about what either of us were going through. And I just assumed that that was normal, that every son had that relationship with his father. Uh, I now know that's not the case, but, you know, it starts very young. We just we don't get to prioritize being open and having these like honest, vulnerable conversations. We instead prioritize and um, kind of promote just being stoic, not needing any help from anyone at any point in your life. And that is manly. That's the pinnacle of man. If you, you can do everything on your own, you're a real man. Mm. And it's literally tearing us apart. We are bottling in. Um, we are even to our closest friends, not opening up about the things that were that are heavy in our lives that are re we're really struggling with. 
And on the off chance that we are opening up, it's usually to a romantic partner. It's not to our friends. It's usually putting the burden on the person that, um, you know, we're, we're spending a lot of time with that we care about in a romantic way. Uh, and that's really unfair to, to kind of like use your, your romantic partner as your therapist, essentially. Um, yeah. We are just, we don't prioritize kind of like creating space in our everyday interactions to be honest with each other. And I think the effects are kind of what we're seeing in um, just statistically with how many men are literally taking their lives right now because they just feel hopeless or feel like nobody's going to be able to understand what it is that they're experiencing. Oh, wow. You've done some work on that too. Like you've actually dug in, like you said, you were sharing some of the stats in your show. Yeah. What, what is happening that, <laughs> so a buddy of mine and another fellow uh, slam poet, um, we were working on a, a show kind of around this idea of masculinity and and what it would mean to like to, uh, to prioritize a healthy masculinity. Uh, we worked on this for for many, many months, but we kept running into this issue of like, how do we how are we the two people that get to define masculinity? And there's just all these nuances to different cultures, even on what it means to be a man. And a lot of other cultures, it's uh, not considered um, unmanly to give other men kisses on the cheek when you see them. But here in America, that would just be like, there's an assumption that comes to that, you know? Um, but when in doing the research for that program, we found out that, um, now today more men are killing themselves than are actually being killed in our country, which is terrifying. Um, I mean, we are so restricted in our, and our communication patterns that we are now, it's now more likely that we'll take our lives than someone will take it from us. Yeah. And that is just, I think that says so much about the state of masculinity today. Yeah. I had a, I had a counselor one time tell me that when you, you bottle it up, it comes out sideways. Mm. And it's like, you, you have to have a release for your, like you said, we're restrictive in how we communicate. You have to have a way to release these things. Otherwise, it's going to come out sideways. And what you're saying is more, it, stat still like kind of surprises me. More men are taking their lives than men taking others' lives. Yeah. And, and the, the interesting thing, I think, is that we don't hear about this a lot. No. You know, I, I, like, I, I read that statistic and I was like, why isn't everybody talking about this? Like you, every single person on this planet knows a man in their life. And now statistically, you might know a man that is really considering ending their life. And yet, um, I think there's this that, this taboo to talk about these things, even though the the things this thing particularly is deadly. Yeah, um, we just we're not we're not bringing this up as much. Yeah, and and what are the things we're not talking about? Like when you say uh, we need a way to bring these things up, what do you think are some of the things that men are bottling that, that need to be discussed, or at least need a place? Yeah, uh, I think any literally <laughs> anything that we are struggling with, whether it is <laughs> yeah. work, uh, other relationships, our our own self image with our bodies, our mental health, uh, our sex lives, we are notoriously bad about opening up. I don't want to talk about any of those things, Andre. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> um, I it's there's just a cringe I think that comes uh, that comes with like, hey man, can I talk to you about like my, uh, I don't know, my, my, my depression. Can I talk to you about my anxiety? Is that cool? Uh, there's just, Mm. I think there's an assumption that there's a weakness associated with that. Like we're admitting that there's something that we don't have control over, which is wild because there is a bajillion things in our lives that we don't have control over. It is unhealthy to assume that like admitting to any of that means that we are weak in some way. What was uh, kind of the conclusion? Because you mentioned you, you did this show uh, going into masculinity, kind of what, what ended up happening with that? Uh, and what, what, what were some of the, yeah, you mentioned just going in through the data, but. Yeah. So, um, there were the, the guy that I'm working on the show with, uh, also runs a restaurant here in Austin. So, uh, time was a pretty big factor in that. Um, but there was also just kind of, we, we found ourselves constantly changing the show because there was constantly more and more information coming out around the masculinity. Uh, and the real big, problem that we were having was how do we how do we talk about toxic masculinity without saying toxic masculinity because there's oh. a, there's so much weight associated with that phrase and yes. so 
we, when we were thinking about, you know, marketing the show and getting this in front of audiences, um, it, it was, it was kind of tough to, to come up with the right pitch to get people to see that this was a, a show about highlighting a lot of, of the issues with, uh, masculinity that we see today. Um, but also creating healthy, um, patterns moving forward. And I just, I don't know if, if there are a lot of men that are, that are open to that conversation. And so yeah. we were, we kept running into this, this, this like wall of doubt and whether or not this was going to be something that people were open to even. Yeah. Yeah. And I can even see toxic masculinity means a lot of different things to different people. <laughs> like some people probably don't believe it exists or some people feel like, no, that's a phrase used to tear down men who are trying to do good things. I mean, mm. and, and I think, <clears throat> I'm not even sure you and I would have the same definition. I think it would be pretty close, but yeah, I definitely can see where if that's what you're going after, like you gotta, you gotta put a lot of parameters on that and try to find another way to say it. Right. The people are very clear on when I say toxic masculinity, this is how I'm defining it. And people will probably go, Oh, well, that makes sense. Like, yeah. But everybody has a different definition for it, right? Because of what they've heard in media or seen on the news or social or whatever it is. Uh, I find that to be kind of a loaded term, like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so did we. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm, I'm, I hope something happens with that. Cause that would be amazing. Uh, I'd really love to see what you guys bring together. Yeah. We're hopeful to, to make something out of it. I mean, we, we did a ton of research and if nothing else, I, I do want to kind of create some programming around that research to help other, um, schools or businesses really embrace some of these like healthier versions of masculinity. Mm. You've also talked about dealing with mental health. What's that been like working with people in that space? And how do they feel about, oh, wow, here's a, here's a guy who's willing to talk about it. It has been uh, life-giving, honestly. Mm. It, um, it, did, it did take me a really long time to open up about my experiences with depression. Um, as a poet, I was really good at writing around depression, like creating all these fancy metaphors to kind of like talk around what I was really experiencing. But the more I, um, I opened up about that experience, the deeper the conversations I got to have after I shared. And it just reaffirmed the statistics that we hear, you know, like that um, one in five Americans struggle with some kind of health condition, which means that like you probably know somebody that struggles with anxiety, depression, PTSD, um, or some kind of trauma. And when I share, when I started sharing, um, mental health pieces in environments like high schools and middle schools, uh, I was terrified because I, I really didn't think that, um, students as young as, you know, like 12 years old were really going to resonate with that. Like there was going to be a whole portion of the show where a good portion of my audience just checked out because they wouldn't be able to understand. And that has not been the case at all. In fact, I have, I've been humbled a lot of times to hear how many students as young as 12 um, and probably younger who know that they struggle with depression, who know that they struggle with anxiety, who have told me that they've had suicide ideation. And it has opened my eyes to how deep rooted this problem is and how uh, we just we don't have the resources to combat it. Uh, there's a statistic on mentalhealth.gov that says less than 50 percent of U.S. counties have one practicing psychiatrist, psychologist, or social worker, um, which means that ultimately um, we become the kind of like the, the first and potentially last offense in a lot of um, our friends, our family members, our coworkers' lives. Uh -huh. And so right now I, I'm, I'm kind of in the headspace of like, these are necessary conversations that have to happen. And um I'm honored in a lot of ways to be able to be one of the people that get to do that, but I know that I can't be the only one. Um, and I think it does help that, that these conversations are coming from a guy, a relatively young guy, uh, who's willing to talk about, you know, depression and suicide ideation, but there's gotta be more. Um, there's gotta be a lot more resources that come out of this because, um, you know, I, oftentimes I'll go to a school, I'll do the show and I, I leave, I have another show to lead up to and, and, I can plant a seed, but I don't necessarily get to get to help that seed grow very much um, all the time. So it's encouraging work. Um, one of my the easily probably the highlight of this entire career of mine was um, 
getting to to do the show and after the show there was time for this q a and uh it was a show for middle school and high school combined which you don't usually want to do uh because that age range is just so vast and so i fully expected nobody to ask a single question that would be the end of the show it'd be this really awkward like 30 seconds where nobody says anything and after about like 20 seconds one girl who was like maybe 12 uh clearly in middle school raises her hand and says hey you talked about your struggle with depression in your show and then there's kind of a beat and you can hear her voice crack as she says, how did you survive? <laughs> and man, like there is a part of me that, that just died that day. Uh, that lit it broke my heart to hear, to, to hear and see someone who was so young and, and clearly going through something really heavy, have the courage to ask, um, okay, can you help me? I'm going through something heavy here. And that is, that's all the inspiration I need. If there's only ever one person in an audience of 500 who, who is dealing with something and, and gets to hear that they're not alone, show is worth it to me. Hmm. Do you think, because you're working, like you said, you're working with students and as young as 12, all the way up to college. And I, I look at the world a little bit and, you know, being a, almost an Xer millennial hybrid thing that whatever it is that I think we're both the same, you know, like we kind of, I get Xers, I get millennials, whatever. Um, but when I look at the younger generation, I make some assumptions that, oh, because empathy is kind of a buzzword right now, they're going to get it. They're going to have a higher awareness of empathy and its importance. I think, I think, I, again, it's an assumption I'm making. I don't have anything I've observed about it other than I know it's coming up more. Um, in, in culture, we're talking more about mental health with, because thanks to shows like Ted Lasso, um, is that, but then I go then, but then I go, oh, but then there's social media. <laughs> this generation yeah. is doomed. Um, <laughs> what's, what's your experience as you're working with kids in the next generation? Do you think this is going to become more important or do you think, obviously it's not universal, but yeah, what's been kind of your observation as you've worked with Younger people, are they more aware? Uh, I would say on the whole, uh, students are a lot more engaged in kind of these like bigger topics like social justice or um, the importance of kindness, um, equality. I am frequently impressed with the conversations that I get to have with, you know, even high school students who want, want to engage around conversations around mental health. Um, there was a guy at a show recently um, who told me about a program he started because his sister struggles with depression and he wanted to start a program at his school. It was an all boys school. Oh, wow. Um, at his school that just allowed that there was a space for people to come and talk about any of the, any mental health issues that they were struggling with. Uh, and he made these bracelets that, you know, if, if you saw somebody wearing the a bracelet, that meant they were kind of a, a safe space to open up about these things. And I was like, I was blown away. Like what? Yeah. Nobody was doing that in my yeah. high school. No one cared <laughs> if you were struggling with any kind of anything in my high school. Uh, that's not true, but it, it felt like that. Yeah. And so there are so many moments where I, uh, when I'm doing these shows, and I get to have these conversations afterwards where I am so encouraged about our, our future. Um, these students are passionate. They're hungry for change and they're hungry for um, creating a world that's, that's, that embraces inclusivity and that embraces people of, of differing backgrounds. But to your point, uh, social media plays a huge role in their overall perception of themselves. Mm. And I think that there is this unrealistic expectation that because they're growing up in this world of immediacy, like everything is, is right away. It's at the touch of a finger. Um, it loads immediately. You order food and it's there in five minutes. You know, there, they, there's this expectation that things happen quickly now. Yeah. And change is slow. Um, you know, the, the, to, to be able to change the culture, to embrace uh, conversations around mental health, we're, we're just now getting to a, a place where, where this is becoming more a part of the conversation. And it's been, you know, like arguably centuries where yeah. we should have been talking about these things. So there's a, there, there's a hunger there, but there's also now a disconnect because of the, the way that they are engaging a lot of times in these conversations is through social media. Mm. And I think there's this expectation that, oh, if I post about something, if I uh, follow someone, you know, I'm, 
I'm being a part of the change that I want to see. And so uh, I think we're there, there's kind of a disconnect in the expectation, but I, on the whole, when I leave these schools or these uh, universities, these businesses, I'm so encouraged by the, the level of, of depth that these students have, the, the interest that they have in creating a world that people can feel seen. And I just, you know, I think back to me growing up and I just don't think that these conversations were happening, at least not in my friends group, but, but a, a lot of the, the people that I got to interact with, um, these were not the priorities. You know, everybody just cared about getting to college, following whatever dreams that they had, focusing on themselves and they're kind of like this individual outlook. And I would say on the whole, there's just more of a sense of the collective in, in a lot of these schools, which I love. Yeah, when we went to college, there was no uh, social media influencers. <laughs> right? Like that would have been ridiculous to be like, yeah, I want to get a million people following me on a platform. Like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, there, there was, there were no, no YouTube you wanted that. Stars. You learned the electric no guitar, you learned how to shred and you had dreams of becoming a rock star. Like that was the version we had. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a different time. It's a lot has changed, yeah. but it, I, and in some ways in a good way, but I think in a lot of ways, social media has been very damaging. Yeah. Yeah. I can agree with, I can, I can agree with that. I can see that. Um, <laughs> for you, when you finish a show, uh, I mean, I know you, You've brought up both points. Like, there's the the conversation and the Q and A's that you're getting to have face to face. There's also the I got to get to another show. Sorry, I'm not going to be back here next week and <laughs> every week yeah. thereafter yeah. to walk with you. So, what are some of the things that you've seen come out of your show that you're going, man? That, that you, I would say, what is the win that you're seeing in in your show as you're going around that you're going that that's making a permanent difference. Are you able to see yeah. that? Because I know part of being a touring artist is like, I hope that helps. Yeah, I hope that helped, man. There's so many times I get on the plane after doing a show and I'm like, man, I hope that helps. <laughs> um, no, there there are these, these um, indicators. I'm very grateful to get um, there at times where students will reach out um, weeks mm. after I've done a show and just say, Hey, I didn't say this when you were here, but what you said really resonated with me and my relationship with my friends, my family has mm -hmm. changed. Um, I get uh, a lot of times I work with some really amazing coordinators and the coordinators will reach out to me, you know, a couple months after a show and just say, Hey, you know, we, we, I just had a conversation with a student who brought up the show. And so I just want to say thank you for, for what you brought to our, our campus. You know, it really made wow. a difference. Um, my, my favorite one <laughs> so far has been, uh, I did a show at an all girls school in Virginia and, you know, I thought the show went great. Um, you know, I had maybe a good couple conversations afterwards, a year and a half after that show, uh, I got an email that said that the seniors that year picked me to be their commencement Shut speaker. Up. For graduation, um, like the show meant so much to them that they wanted to bring me back and have me give them some encouragement as they were transitioning into a new part of their lives. That, like such wow. a highlight for for my entire career. I loved it so much. Um, it was it was I've never written a commencement seat, so it was a good <laughs> challenge. Uh, I got to write a poem just for their graduating class that I, I'm really proud of. And so there are these 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 indicators that the the show is making a difference, mm. is making an impact, and I, I yeah. love it. I want to go back to, we were talking about toxic masculinity, but kind of in that vein, you do some anti-bullying work too. Is that right? Yes. Through an organization called Cometry, um, which blends stand-up comedy and slam poetry. Yeah. What's been kind of the, some of the takeaways from that experience of I, I mean, just awareness around, because I'm, I'm tying this in with, we see, you know, trolling on the internet. We see this like, and, and a lot of times people who are, the loudest or more, uh, your, your better vocabulary than me, like obtuse. Is that, am I saying that right? You know, people who are just kind of, uh, obstinate and stubborn. Um, yeah. Are honestly a lot of people who need, who have the most wounds. And so as you're kind of doing that work, what are you seeing in particular with people who we say, well, that, that, that's a kid dealing with toxic stuff in his life. And we, I won't say it's toxic masculinity. Mm. I don't know what it is, but. Yeah, a lot of the the foundation work that we set for that is um, an understanding that no matter who you are, or what your background is, there's probably something tough that you you're either dealing with or have dealt with, and so that kind of 
hopefully levels the playing field. And then it's from there building the understanding that these things have incredibly real consequences. And, you know, we get to bring up names, unfortunately, of people who have ended their lives because of bullying, um, more, most often than not cyberbullying. And so for us, a lot of the challenge is establishing this as a very real and dangerous problem. Um, but then uh, for me personally, it's coming at it from a place of empathy and both for the people doing the bullying and the people receiving it. Um, if you're doing the bullying, can you try to understand how damaging your, your actions are? Um, for the people that are receiving it, um, can you a call it out and make sure that this is not that you're creating a culture that, um, won't stand for this. And, you know, like that actually will, there will be consequences for these kind of actions. And can you do it in a, from a, a, a position of grace? Can you do it from a position of what you did hurt me? I don't want bad things for you necessarily. I just need you to understand that these things have consequences and they're not okay. You know, I don't hate you. Uh, I want you to get the help that you you de you definitely need, but I want you to understand that what you're doing is consequences. So it's it's, and I think that's the, that's kind of for anybody, not just men, but that's kind of a, a, a way to to develop healthy conflict. Yeah. Um, finding a way to, to setting a boundary for yourself, making sure that nobody um, is disrespecting that boundary, and then approaching it from a place of of grace. Can you try to understand that they're probably doing this? as a desperate cry for attention because there's something missing mm -hmm. in their lives. I just thought of a whole nother topic I want to dive into. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What should men be doing? I mean, this is the Mankind Podcast. And as we've been talking about your work and the things you're getting to do, like, what are the things that you, oh gosh, what, how am I trying to say this? What would you want men to do? Like after they walk away from your show or... Like, what are the things that you're like, man, if you could do these three things or, I know it doesn't always boil down to that thing, but what do you want to say? What do you think would be some good practice? We talked about not dumping on your significant other as your therapist. <laughs> a lot of times, like, yeah, don't, don't make your significant I'm other now your thinking, therapist. I'm now thinking um, of my wife going, oh, I feel bad because she's been my <laughs> therapist for 14 years. Uh, but yeah, what are, what is, that's a good yeah. question. Um, so I, I do try to simplify this uh, because I want them to to start today, you know, right away. I want them to do so. There's something I want to give them a practical way that they can do this. And the first thing that I say to everyone, not just men, but especially men, uh, is to pay attention. There are so many times in our relationships where our friends, our family members, coworkers, they're giving us warning signs. You know, they're they're letting us know, however subtly, that they're going through something heavy. Can you be the kind of person that? inquires about that that doesn't just let them say oh i'm fine i'm fine i'm fine when you know them and you can tell that this version of fine is clearly not their usual version of fine can you lean in can you situational ask the, awareness the question yeah yeah so the, the the first ask i have of them is is nothing major it's just to, to pay attention to these things um and then the flip side of that is to be willing to talk about the heavy things in your life um where you you set up the conversation which is like hey man can i can i open up about something really quick or hey man is it cool if i if i have a courageous conversation with you right now you know i've been kind of dealing with something heavy i try to get them to to not rely on their friends asking them if they're okay because a lot of times um you know that's it's awkward it's it's strange to ask your friends like are you okay and when they say fine you're like no no but really are you okay mm. It's it, and sometimes that's all it takes is asking twice. But a lot of times, uh, we put the the effort on our our friends, our significant others, for them to dive into to our like emotions and core. Instead, I want to kind of set a new routine, set a new habit where you are, if you are struggling with something, trust your friend group, lean into your friend group, rely on them, and see how much deeper of a relationship you build from that because you know that this is someone who would go to battle for you, who is going to be there for you in the tough times. My closest relationships today uh, are friends that I made in like fourth yeah. grade. And, you know, when I think about um, one of my best friends, his name is Kevin. And Kevin and I, like we can we can now tell each other everything. But this was years in the making. Um, he actually had to move his junior year of high school because his parents got another job. And I remember me, my buddy, Matt, my buddy, Kevin, sitting on a trampoline and just bawling, bawling. And it was the first time any of us had ever cried in front of each other. 
And we were trying so hard not to talk about the fact that we were all crying on this trampoline together. We were just like, man, we're going to come visit you and it's going to be so great. And we're going to be friends yeah. forever, man. And we're not going to let this like, we were trying so hard to talk about, talk around the fact that like, this yeah. sucks, this hurt. We were losing a, a good buddy to distance, mm. you know, um, now that, that because we, we've had these little moments of, of opening up and being there for each other. Kevin's my yeah. dude, man. I, I know that dude would, would go to war for me. He has literally saved my life at times. And uh, I prize that relationship so much, but this relationship wouldn't be here if either of us had never opened up at any point in our lives. We just kept it like, hey, man, how you doing? I'm good. All right, then. Yeah. So there, there's a, a habit that I'm trying to set. And the more that you lean into it, the easier it gets and the deeper the relationships that you have. And suddenly, instead of you having to deal with everything in your life on your own, that's the version of masculinity we have today. You're leaning into your community and you are finding that you have good people around you and you don't have mm. to do this on your own. Yeah. As you're talking about being, being curious about the situations around us and observing other people's emotions. I was thinking like, man, that's been such the role of mentors in my life. Hmm. Guys, grown men, as I was a young man who thought he knew everything, <laughs> who were observant of those moments. And I think, I think a lot of guys have the opportunity to be mentors and they go, well, I don't want to, I don't want to assume that I know something more than this person. And it's like, no, the truth is you do. <laughs> like, Trust your own power, <laughs> trust your own experience. And if something is telling your gut, something's off here, it's okay to be curious about that mm. and be wrong. You go, no, nothing's going on. You sure? No, I'm sure. Yeah. Okay. I just want to make sure. I want you to know I care enough to have asked. I think a lot of men feel like, yeah, oh, I don't have the tools, the resource or the experience to actually speak into that space for another, for another young man or another person. And I think the, the the weird assumption we have with that is that women just naturally have it. No, women mm. just practice more. They're so much more willing to be open and honest with each other and have these conversations. So then by the time they're 20, 30 years old, yeah. it's second nature to them. Whereas we're still stuck in elementary school just with the, hey, how you doing? It's fine. Yeah. I, I love the movie. Uh, I love you, man. It is so oh, yeah. realistic. <laughs> I, I laughed probably twice as much as my wife because I was like, that is what it is like. It is hard and, and, and it's unassuming. And then you find somebody who's just comfortable with who they are, not perfect, but just confident. And you just want to go, man, I want to be like that guy. I want to be confident. I want to know who I am. Yeah. And, and in some ways we allow that person to speak over us and we become infatuated with the things they're infatuated with. Anyway, I could go into that. I could deep dive on the love you man really quick and I won't. <laughs> Uh, SNL just did a sketch. Um, I think they called it like man park or guy park. Hilarious. Basically like it's a place for women to bring their husbands so they can bond with someone other than them <laughs> and talk to somebody other than them. And all of the bonding happens over really innocuous things like uh, Patriots, Patriots. Oh, and totally. Like, and then boom. Like yeah, suddenly I've, had, best I've had family members who can't, if it's not, if you're not talking trucks and sports, they don't know what to talk about. Oh man. Yep. And I am not a trucks and sports guy yet. <laughs> There's still hope for me. I can still there become is. one. Yeah. It is crazy that how we try to relate to one another. It's like, man, we got to find these things that, oh, we have commonality. I had a, I had a mentor one time. He said, uh, there's a generalization. So nobody write me about this being wrong, but he made the observation that women do really well relating face to face over a cup of coffee. And the ironic thing is we were having coffee while he was saying this. You know, <laughs> they look each other in the eye and they share what's going on. And there's something about men. We just relate better shoulder to shoulder. Mm. And so sometimes if I want to like, if I want to connect or get into a guy's life and say, hey, what's going on with you? Sometimes it's best to be like, hey, can you come over and help me cut down this tree in my yard? And, uh, and so having yeah. a project, something we're doing together where we're not like, looking each other in the eye and nodding, you know, like we are now, but like, but, but there's something to that, that we're doing something together. And then there's kind of this, I can open up as I'm, you know, putting nails into the roof or, you know, something, I don't know, I'm making it all manly yes. work stuff, but sometimes it's simple as yes. sitting around a campfire. Yeah, I think that's why uh, you watch guys. What? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's what I was just about to say. Camping. I think that's so many, the big reason why a lot of guys enjoy camping together is because like they can physically yeah. do something while they're okay. Here's the fire. Here's a bunch of sticks up. and they'll just sit there poking the fire, like not doing anything useful. You're like, <laughs> just poking the same coal over and over again, but there's something about it. 
I like that, that, uh, that analogy too, because when I think of like some of the deeper conversations that I've had with my guy friends, we've literally been shoulder to shoulder. We're not looking directly at each other. We're just kind of like yeah. talking into the ether, but we're, we yeah. are talking to each other. I think there is definitely yeah. something there. to And do I, that. I'm sure there's a whole psychological thing. We could go into that <laughs> as well. You have, you have a, uh, home and there's a place I wanted to put this in the podcast, but, um, I missed the opportunity. So I might go back and edit it in, but if not, it'll, it'll live right here. <laughs> um, you had a piece you, you, you want to share and I, I wanted you to share, sorry, not you want to share. I wanted yeah. you to share something Yeah, so people could kind of hear what your work. So this, uh, this poem, it was inspired cause I was having some, I was getting, you know, as the things that started opening up, um, and vaccines were becoming more readily available, I was getting to like meet face to face with some of my guy friends. And I was finding that, a lot of the conversations we were having were the exact same things we were doing pre-pandemic. We we'd all just experienced a major worldwide trauma and we were having the same conversations. <laughs> uh, and so I I wanted to to kind of speak into that. Um, and I read a quote that just like blew me away and it kind of inspired this poem. Three can keep a secret if two of them are dead. Benjamin Franklin. Here's the secret. In America, more men are killing themselves than are being killed. The problem is the man who knows that secret watched two of his friends lowered into the ground, watched secret become burden, become bullet. He's afraid of the weight of this information, burying another friend so he bottles in. Chisels grin into facial fearless, wears confidence like wardrobe malfunction. And if you ask him, he'll tell you he's fine. And on some days that will be true. But far more of them were fine means folding into nothing every day, fitting insecurities, near eccentricities, fearing intimacy, needing empathy. Here's a secret. Women seek help. Men seek holding the gun barrel of control, pretending the safety of masculinity is clicked on, not knowing the manufacturer's warranty reads stop. When presented with the burden too heavy to chamber, trust the caliber of your friends because once you fire this, you will trigger an end that hammers too close to home. Here is a secret. People would rather believe a beautiful lie than a deadly truth. And the truth is, I'm fine. 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 I'm uh, I'm falling apart. I'm fracturing inward. I'm feeling frayed around my everything. The weight of me is immense, but I believe strength is carrying your messiness in your own two hands. And damn, you should see the numbers that I can bench. The amount of me that I am pushing against centimeters from crushing the calluses in my chest. I believe resilience is going it alone relying on no one for nothing that frailty and community rhyme for a reason that you can't trust anyone to understand that the words drowning and breathing are separated only by a sea i don't think i could stay afloat in here's a secret more men are killing themselves than are being killed the problem is even though it's no longer a secret we still file this information under something that will never happen to me or anyone that I care for deeply. And the knowledge becomes a secret again, becomes classified information, becomes locked and loaded burden, one that more and more of us are dying to tell. Thank you. Dang. <sighs> And you do that at every show. <laughs> oh man, thank you for sharing that. Um, I hope I hope guys listening to this podcast that if you've got a burden that you reach out, that you find somebody that hey, you even you even email me if you need to, because um, mm. you were not meant to bear that alone whatever it is. And yeah. a lot of times we'll go, Oh, it's, it's, I'm fine. Gosh. Um, and I know I got my own stuff. I'm bearing too, but that doesn't mean we don't work better together. And I got good friends that that's who I hit up when it's too much. You know, Andre, man, thank you so much for sharing that. Mm. Yeah. Thanks for, thanks for giving me a space to, to 
open up and and uh, to be real about this conversation. And I think it's very necessary that um, we create a new a new definition for for kindness and masculinity, and and that those things are integral. They're not separate. They they need to ex- they co- to coexist and. The more that we can lean into that, the more that we create a, a culture, a community, a world that is better for it, where men are real men and are strong because we are willing to be authentic and vulnerable and not because we're trying to carry all of this yeah. weight on our own. Where can people find you? Yeah. So um, you can reach me on Instagram at SC says, uh, that is my stage name. Uh, you can also check out some more of my work on my website, uh, www.scsayspoetry.com. Cool. We'll have that in the show notes uh, as well. I feel like everybody has to say that. I feel like that's like required, but that'll be in the show notes. <laughs> Everything's in the show notes. <laughs> who else do you suggest? Like, as you're looking at other guys, other men who are doing this kind of work and, and, and by no means are w- women are doing amazing, courageous work there's just a big void of men speaking Mm. into this. So I want to highlight guys who are doing this in the shadows, guys who like yourself, like you said, you're not famous. I disagree. (laughs) I think you're pretty, pretty stinking famous. I think you're awesome. Thanks, man. (laughs) But who are some other guys that people should check out or who should we have on the show? Ooh. um, I mean, if you can get Jason Sudeikis, that'd be, (laughs) I'm a, I'm a huge, that is a bucket list item. Huge, huge fan of, of Ted Lasso. If you don't want to be like beat over the head about the whole, like being a good man thing, (laughs) Ted Lasso is just such a great study on what it means to be a good man, yeah. a kind man. Um, I love that show to pieces. It is my, it's now my favorite show of all time. I don't know if there'll ever be a better I show. I want to do a scene breakdown of one oh, of the, great. one of the moments in the show. And my wife and I actually disagreed over it, <laughs> but I want to do a scene breakdown of what was happening in terms of emotional intelligence, empathy, and kindness in that scene. Cause it's a great, Oh, I, I've, I've, I've read a lot of reviews that people don't like that scene. I think it's one of the best scenes I've ever seen. Anyway, sorry. Ooh. It's a good show. Yes, 100%. Jason Sudeikis, <laughs> he's actually on next after you. Oh, perfect. Cool, cool. <laughs> Glad I could uh, set him up. I mean, he probably won't be as good, but yeah. Um, so there's an author that I love whose name is uh, Frederick Bachman. He wrote a book, um, like what kind of got him famous was a book called A Man Called Ove. Uh, although almost every one of his books I've, I've absolutely loved. And there's a book actually called Anxious People that I think is just a wonderful study on humanity. Mm. Um, it is easily the most beautiful book that I've ever read. Um, it is just heartbreakingly real where every single character that you encounter is flawed. And there's just such a beauty in that. Um, and I think that he paints a picture for masculinity that I just, I, I can get behind. He, mm. he, um, they're fictional books, but he's got a, a worldview that I, I think just like is beautiful. And so that's someone that, that really inspires me personally. Another author that I really like is a guy named Richard Paul Evans, who also creates this really great, um, view of masculinity. He has a, a book series called the walk. That is one of the most powerful things I've ever read. I read it once every year. Um, essentially, it's about a guy who had everything, um, married the girl next door, had a very successful career. And within the span of a month, he loses it all. Wow. Uh, his wife is in an accident, becomes paralyzed from the waist down while he's taking care of her. Um, these are not spoilers. This is just like the setup for the story. While he's taking care of her, his business partner steals all his clients, starts another firm. And then while he goes to try to deal with that, his wife dies. Uh. And he is just so distraught that he's thinking about taking his own life. And he, right before he pulls the trigger, he remembers the last word his wife ever said to him, which was live. So instead he sells everything he's got left and he goes on a walk across the country from uh, Spokane, Washington to Key West, Florida. And it is a five book series about all the people that he meets, the healing that he goes through along that journey. And it is incredible. That book also heavily influenced my ideas of masculinity mm-hmm. and um, and the ways in which that can be represented. So that's someone also that really inspires me. Mm, that's awesome. Well, Andre, I want to thank you, man. Thank you for the work that you do. And um, the way that you fight for others is uh, really cool. I can't wait. Thank you. I'm going to have you on the show again, man. It's, I-, <laughs> I love it. And I, I just want to just give mad kudos to you. This idea, this podcast is uh, is everything. I hope it is a dramatic success. I think 
uh, the more that guys can do this, just just have a conversation, talk about uh, what is going on in our lives, yeah. talk about what uh, what we're struggling with, what we're hopeful for. Uh, the more we we get to change our culture, and I think we really need to do that right now because we could the world could use some some really healthy men. Um, yeah. And so I hope that this podcast helps to create that. Well, thank you, man. I mean that, that means the world to me. Uh, thank you for being here, dude. And uh, till next time. Awesome. Take care. You too. Man, again, love that conversation. If you stuck with us through the whole thing, I want to encourage you, go check out Andre's work. I'll have links in the show notes. Uh, Definitely worth checking him out and watching where he goes because I know he's got greater things coming up in the future. So uh, check him out. And if you haven't yet, hit subscribe on the Mankind Podcast. If you want this kind of goodness and these kind of conversations coming to you every couple weeks, we release two episodes a month, one with a guest and one just with some knowledge and some tools that will help you become a kinder person in the world. Hey, enjoy your day and make it your goal to make someone's life a little bit better today.